Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Morning, church. It is good to see everybody today. And how about doing one gathering? We, 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 we into this? I'm into this. Uh, we'll see how it goes. We've got, um, we'll, we'll do this for a couple of months. Uh, for the rest of the year, we'll, we'll gather like this, one gathering, um, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, it's, I mean, it's more full than uh, what, it, what it often is, but that's, it gives us a chance to be able to see each other and to just look around and be like, okay, who's, who, is, who is Christ the King Church? And it's like, well, it's, it's those of us that are here, whereas Whenever you do two gatherings, you're not able to do that at any given time. You're able to see just a, uh, just a, a part of the church. But, you know, for the next couple of months, as long as we're doing this, we'll be able to see the whole church all at once. And um, that's, that, that's really a blessing. I'm, I'm not a big fan of doing multiple gatherings. It's, it's been, over the years, it's been um, a big challenge uh, because of what I'm describing to you. We're not able to, to be all together as a church except whenever we do occasional family meetings. But doing it like this, this does give us a chance just to fellowship and worship together as one body in one gathering. And then it also opens up possibilities for us to do things like um, a pot, what you call it, Alex, a pro- providence? I, I did not know that was a thing. Um, I didn't even know to be offended about potluck until you said it. But once you mentioned it, I'm like, okay, I, yeah, I'm offended about that. Yeah, we're not potluck. God's, God is sovereign, so pot sovereignty or whatever. Anyway. Um, we can't do this forever, though, because our building isn't big enough uh, to accommodate the church. So we'll, we'll uh, do it as long as we can and, and, and evaluate as, long as we go along. Well, we're doing a series in the Gospel of Luke, and what we're going to talk about today is anxiety, um, particularly the anxiety over money, anxiety over money. Because when it comes to being anxious about money, there's two kinds. Uh, there's the anxiety over having too little and the anxiety about having too much. Um, most of you would probably say, well, I'm in the too little category. But there is an anxiety that comes with having too much, and we're going to have a look at that this morning too. Either way, anxiety over money indicates a weak faith. When we're anxious about money, that indicates a weak faith. It means that we are too focused on temporal things and not focused enough on eternal things. So the common temptation for us is to believe that more money will make us more happy or more healthy or more secure, and money can't do that, and that leads to an insecurity. It leads to an anxiety because it's a misplaced trust, or we could say a misplaced faith. It's faith in the wrong thing. It's believing that money can do something that money cannot do, and so it's living a lie. So that always leads to anxiety. And so you end up being worried about money because you have faith in money to give you things that you should trust God to provide for you. Now, the cure for this kind of anxiety is to trust God, to trust that God loves you, that God values you, that God will provide for your needs. And so what we do um, is that we seek first the kingdom of God. That's what we're going to see in this text. We seek first the kingdom, meaning that we aim higher. We aim higher than the temporal world. We set our sights higher on eternal things, above earthly things. And then we release our concern for temporal needs into God's hands. 
and focus our attention on the priorities of the kingdom of God. So that's what we're going to look at today. Let's dig in. Um, we're in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I've got three points to make today, and I'm experimenting with a new technology, and I'm going to have to um, change the setting on my iPad here. So display and brightness, auto lock, two minutes, good and never. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. Um, Luke chapter 12. And we'll, we'll start reading here in verse 22. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is God's word. First point, don't believe the lie that the good life can be bought with money. Don't believe the lie that the good life can be bought with money. All right, let me show you. Let's look at our text. Verse 22, Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you. So therefore, you see that. When he says therefore, he's telling us that we need to look back and get the context of what he's saying. The word therefore refers to what came previously, right? So it points us back. And so I want to take us back to the previous text. And this is the text that Wade preached on last week. I want to draw a couple of points from this. And I want you to see how the text from last week is connected to the text from today. So in these, in these verses here, I won't read them, and read them all. But this text here is, includes the parable of the rich man. And the rich man believed that money could buy happiness and long life. That was his error. So verse 15, though, Jesus corrects him. He says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So your life, 
Who you are, your identity, what's important, your purpose is not found in having more and more things. It is not found in the abundance of your possessions. So the rich man believed that his wealth would give him many years where he would eat, drink, and be merry. So in this parable, he says, I've got all this stuff. What will I do? I've got nowhere to store my crops. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones where I will store all my grain and goods. And then I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods. You've got everything you need laid up for many years. I'm going to live a long life. Therefore, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. The good life. Having all of this stuff means that I can now sit back, relax, enjoy the good life because I'm going to be happy. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And I'm going to do it for a long, long, long time, for many years. That's what he believed. I mean, isn't that what we want? That's what we all want. We want to be carefree. We want to not have any worries. We want to know that we're always going to have enough, enough stuff, enough food, enough you know, to pay our bills. That's what we always want. We want to believe that we will be happy and content for many years. And this man's wealth blinded him to the spiritual and eternal dimensions of his life. And it made him worldly and shallow. So he had faith in the wrong things. Do you see that? He thought, I want to live forever. I want to live a long life. And I want to eat, drink, and be merry because I've got stuff. And Jesus says, your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. But that's the lie that he was believing. He was believing this lie. And so his soul was demanded of him that very night. That's what, uh, that's what Jesus said. That your, tonight your soul is required of you. He was unprepared to face judgment where he would stand before God. God is not impressed with wealth. You can't have enough money to buy you eternity. So this rich man's wealth gave him the luxury of ignoring the condition of his soul. Folks, this is, this is America in 2022. We have more prosperity, we have more stuff, we have more ease and comfort than any previous generation in the history of the world. This is our temptation. And we have, we have the luxury of ignoring the condition of our soul because we rarely face our own mortality. So we put it off. Now what did Jesus call it? What did Jesus call it? I mean, it seems pretty... Uh, pretty uh, insulting here, doesn't it? Jesus called him a fool. Or he, he said, God called him a fool. God said, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. He was a foolish man. He was a fool because he neglected his soul, because he had put his faith in the wrong things. And so what Jesus is teaching his disciples here is that life is more than stuff. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life is more than stuff. What does he mean? It means that the good life that we all want, the good life that we all seek, can't be bought with money. Foolish men are preoccupied with temporal things, things that don't last, things that rot or, or fade away or, or break down. Wise men are preoccupied with eternal things. And that's why Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What he's talking about here is 
the fool, his focus is on laying up treasure for himself, and he is not rich toward God. And that phrase, rich toward God, is, is key there because that's what Jesus is going to talk about in the section that follows. So being rich toward God means that you're not in love with your money. You're not driven by a lust for more possessions. You always have the newest model, the newest thing. Being rich toward God means you receive everything that you have as a gift from God that you don't deserve. Everything that you have is a gift of his grace. And so you're free to be generous with others. Being rich toward God means that your attitude about your money and your possessions reflects heavenly priorities. And so that's the context. In the next section, Jesus is going to go on to show us what it looks like to be rich towards God. And what we're going to see is that the man who is rich towards God isn't preoccupied with temporal things. So now let's move on to the section for today. So point one, don't believe the lie that the good life can be bought with money. Point number two is trust God to provide for all of your needs. It's a simple point. Trust God to provide for all your needs. That's what Jesus is going to talk about here. So let's read this text again. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. There's a negative command. Do not be anxious. About what? Well, first, about your life. There's one, which means what you will eat. But number two, about your body, what you will put on. Those are two things. Those are temporal things. About your life, what are you going to eat? Or about your body, the clothes that you're going to wear. For life is more than food. So here's your life, this life here. Now he's going back to that theme. Life is more than food. And the body is more than clothing. Those things are temporal. Those things are, don't last. Those, it's like you need food every day. Clothing, they'll wear out and you're going to need to replace it. And so he gives a couple of examples. First about life. First about food. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about all the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. So the first one was about ravens, that's the food. And now consider the lilies, that's the um, which you'll put on your clothing. How they grow. They neither toil nor spend. Yet I tell you, even Solomon and all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? And then this phrase, O oh, you of little and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Jesus is still addressing the same issue as the previous section, which is misplaced trust in money. Now, a misplaced trust in money will create anxiety because you're trusting something that cannot give you what you're trusting it for. So verse 22, he says, do not be anxious. He's talking about a preoccupation with temporal things, like food and like clothing. And so he says, about your life, that's food, or about your body, that's clothing. Why? Because, verse 23, life is more than food. 
And the body is more than clothing. Those things are important, but there are other things that are even more important that should be the focus of our attention. There's much more to life than the food you eat and the clothes you put on. So if you remember in the the previous section, Jesus said, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. There's more to life than those temporal concerns. So Jesus is not denying that we need to work to earn a living. He's not saying like, well, you should just, you know, sit around and pray and, you know, never leave your house and God will just rain bread from heaven and gift cards to Target so you can buy clothes. He's not saying like, well, you just, you just sit around and never work or never, never think about those things. He's saying like, no, those things can't be the preoccupation of your mind. So he is telling us that we trust God to provide for our needs using the ordinary means that he has appointed. So, if, you know, to eat, that means, you know, in this, the day of Jesus, like you'd have to go fishing or you'd have to, you know, farm for land or, or, or bake bread. You would, you would still have to do the ordinary things. Work is still a part of God's means of provision. But he's saying that those things cannot be the preoccupation of your mind where you're doubting that God will take care of you. And so, you know, in our day, if money is tight, you might have to work an extra shift. You know, some people might even have to pick up a second job. You might have to you know, do more work to, to gain more income. And that's not a lack of faith. That's being wise. That's trusting God through the ordinary uh, means that he has appointed to provide for you. But you have to do it with a trust that God is going to provide and to not let it be a preoccupation. To not shrink your world down to the size of whatever provision that you're worried about. Because anxiety about those things, it springs from the mistaken belief that God is unconcerned with us. That God doesn't care about us. He's not paying attention. So we have to to let Jesus' words land here. Anxiety over these temporal things, it's a sin. And Jesus commands us, do not be anxious about those things. That That is thinking too small about your life. It's a sin to doubt that God cares for you or to doubt that God's going to take care of you. So he gives his examples here. Consider the ravens, the birds. According to Deuteronomy 14, ravens were unclean animals. So these aren't, you know, the eagles, you know, flying around beautiful and majestic or a dove, you know, something like these are These are kind of scavenger type animals and they were unclean and God's people were not permitted to eat them because they were unclean. Now, Jesus is saying, think of the ravens. Well, they, they can't farm. I mean, they've got a tiny little peanut brain. They're not able to contemplate their own existence and worry about whether or not they're going to get food the next day. No, they just, they just go around and they eat what they find. And, and, and they, even though they do that, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, God feeds them. So God is, is aware of and feeding and taking care of every bird, even these unclean birds that we might think, it's like, well, what's the use of these birds even existing at all, you know? Jesus said, God, God has a purpose for them, and God cares for them, and God knows every one of them, and God feeds them. So they're not just wandering around randomly eating. They are doing so because God has provided for them. God is feeding them. So God cares about and feeds these unclean birds, and he does the same thing with the lilies. So he's talking about the grass. Now, this is uh, the lilies 
you know, the grass being, you know, before the flowers bloom, there's just a, you know, like a stalk of, 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 of you know, it looks like a weed or a piece of grass or something, but then they bloom into these flowers. And Jesus says here that God is the one who clothes them, meaning God is the one that makes them beautiful. The beauty that we enjoy of these things is because God has brought it about. And of course, flowers aren't thinking, oh, how am I, how am I going to be beautiful today? What am I going to wear? How am I going to bring about the you know, make myself look nice. It's like, of course, they don't think about that because, you know, that's not what they, they don't have that capacity. They don't have brains. So what is, then verse 24, look at what Jesus says. They don't do this stuff. And how much more value are you than the birds? So this is a, they call it a lesser to the greater sort of argument. Jesus makes an obvious point about how much God values something lesser, like a bird or a flower. And then he says, of how much more value are you than the birds? God isn't going to feed the birds and then neglect his own children, right? God cares about his children. If God cares about a bird, an unclean bird, of course God cares about his children. So verse 28, O you of little faith. That's the issue. Faith is the heart of the issue. Anxiety comes from a lack of faith in God. And what Jesus is calling us to do here is to trust God, to believe in God, to trust his heart. Whenever he tells us we are valuable to him, we have to take him at his word, that God cares about us, that he loves us. So it's a waste of precious time and energy to be preoccupied with whether or not God will provide for us. Anxiety over these things, it's bad for the body, it's bad for the mind, it's bad for the soul, and it shrinks our capacity to really think beyond to higher pursuits, which is what we are to be lifted up to. So verse 30 says, Your Father knows that you need them. God is not unaware of what we need. In Matthew's version, he says that he knows our needs even before we ask them. God knows what we need. He's not blind. He's not dumb. So if you imagine a mother who's got uh, kids that she's trying to get her kids to do homework, you know, one night and trying to get them ready for school the next day. But uh, her kids, they can't focus on their homework because they're preoccupied. You know, she's got a son and a daughter. Let's say the son, he's worried about whether or not he's going to have anything to eat for lunch the next day. And the daughter, she's worried about if she's going to have something cute to wear to school the next day. And of course, like, they're like, Mom, I can't do my homework. You know, I'm just, I'm I'm worried about, I'm worried about having lunch tomorrow. And the mom's thinking, like, that's ridiculous. Like, why would you worry about whether or not you'll have lunch or whether or not you'll have clothes tomorrow? Of course, you're going to have, don't worry about that. Don't think about that. You have bigger things to think about. You have bigger things that you need to be worried about. And that is doing your homework, learning so that you can become, you know, a mature adult. Whenever we worry about these temporal things, it's like that. It's like saying, God, I, I can't do my homework. I can't think about anything bigger because I'm, I'm worried about whether or not I'm going to eat lunch tomorrow. And Jesus is saying, that's absurd. Why be anxious about those things? Your father knows that you need them. He feeds the birds, and of course, you're more important than the birds. He's saying you can trust God, that he's aware of you. He knows what you need. He's watching out for you. He's going to take care of you. He loves you. You're valuable to him. And to question that, if your heart is filled with anxiety over these things, that means that you lack faith. 
It means that your faith is weak. That's why he says, oh, you of little faith. Not that you're not a Christian, but meaning that you believe God, but your, your belief is pretty weak. You still feel like you have to, to be preoccupied with these things yourself. Anxiety about temporal things, it steals the emotional and the physical energy that could be devoted to the higher pursuits that we'll get to in a moment. Life is more than these things. Life is more important than what you're going to eat, what outfit you're going to put on. Life is more important than that. Do we believe that? Life is more important than that. There are other things that are much more worthy of our time and our energy. Life is more than your bank account. Life is about more than your investment portfolio. Life is about more than your wardrobe. Here's my third point. Seek first God's kingdom and trust him to take care of the rest. Seek first God's kingdom and trust him to take care of the rest. So verse 31. Instead... All right, so there's instead. So here's a, is a transitional word. So instead, he's pointing us back to what we read before, which is don't be anxious about all this stuff. It's, it's absurd to be anxious about all that stuff. Instead of that, do this. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. What things? What things are you talking about, Jesus? Well, food, clothing. And you could just say all the basic needs and necessities of life. Let Jesus worry about those things. He loves us. He's taking care of us. He's not going to abandon us. Let Jesus worry about those things. You do your homework. You focus on the bigger things, the more important things. Trust God. That doesn't mean that you ignore it. I mean, I've already made that point. But, but that means that we're, our preoccupation is not with these temporal, earthly things. But our focus is on the kingdom. Matthew's version, um, he gives us a little bit more detail. Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things will be added to you. So Jesus doesn't just give us a negative, don't be anxious. Jesus also gives us a positive. He gives us something to do instead of worrying, right? So the positive that Jesus gives us to do is seek first the kingdom. So the negative, don't be anxious. That's the prohibition. The positive, seek first the kingdom. Let that be your focus. Let that be what you give your attention to. So to put it another way, is the way to overcome anxiety about temporal things is to increase your interest and attention to eternal things. So if, if all you had was the negative command, hey, don't be anxious. Whatever you're worried about right now, stop it. And that's all, that's all you get. All you get is just stop being anxious. Anybody feel anxious today? You feel anxious by anything? Anyone? Stop it. <laughs> it's over. It's done. No more anxiety. It's done. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, don't be anxious, and then he gives us a rationale. Hey, don't be anxious about the stuff that God's already got covered. God's already got that covered. You don't need to worry about that. Do your job. Pay your bills. Don't worry about it. Don't let that just consume your energy and your attention. Instead, I've got something better for you to put your attention on, and that's the kingdom of God. 
that's eternal. That lasts. That will far outlive the temporal things of this life. You ever heard the illustration of living for the dot versus living for the line? Um, this is, it's an old illustration I, I heard years ago, and every time I hear it, I'm just like, that is so true. The, the dot and the line, it's like, if you, if you think of your life on a timeline, and you know, it's, you've, you've got a starting point because we're finite, but it also never has an end point because we are eternal beings. And so, let's say a, a million years from now, an eternity in heaven, when our eternal experience of heaven is shaped by and informed by what we did during the years that we had on this earth. Because Jesus does promise rewards. He promises that what we do in this life makes an impact. It changes how we will experience eternity in, in an increase of reward, an increase of joy that we might have in heaven. And so you can live for the dot, which is what your, the span of life that you have on this earth, however many years you have, that's the dot. So you can live for the dot, which is, what am I going to eat? What am, what am I going to put on? How do I look today? Where am I going to travel to? How much stuff can I buy myself? How many worldly goods can I accumulate? You can focus on those things. And that could be what you're consumed by. Now, it could be, you know, the sort of, you know, poor man sort of worry, which is like, I don't think I'm going to have enough. But as we've seen, like, Jesus is not just talking about the, the sort of concern that people in poverty might have. He's talking about the rich man does the same thing. He also is trusting in money to give him things that only God can provide. And so we could have the rich man's version of this, which is I'm still preoccupied with temporal things. I just have more money to play with. And I'm trusting it to make me happy, to give me a long life, to, to give, give me health. And so what are you living for? Are you living for the dot? Are you living for the few years that you have in this planet spinning around for 70, 80 years or however much the Lord gives you, 90, 100 years? And then when you die, that's it. You have not done anything to invest in eternity. Or you can live your life in the dot, in this life now, such that you have an eternal impact. Such that a million years from now, your joy in Christ has somehow, and we don't, I don't know how this works exactly, but somehow your joy in Christ is increased, your heavenly reward is greater. Because while you were here on earth, you stored up treasure in heaven. And so what, that's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God, for that to be the thing that is your primary focus. To seek first his kingdom. So the anxious person doesn't have their priorities set right. They're too fixated on temporal things. And so C.S. Lewis, he puts it this way. He says, you put first things first. And when you do that, you get second things thrown in. But if you put second things first, you lose both first and second things. He's talking about having an eternal perspective. That's the, and the answer is to seek first the kingdom of God for God's kingdom, for that to be the thing that is driving you. So instead of worrying about food and clothing and success and career and your bank account and all those temporal things, Jesus says, instead of that, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
And all these other things will be added to you because Jesus has already promised he's going to take care of those things for you. So that means, how, how do we do that practically? Well, it means like you can, the things that preoccupy your time and energy, be focusing on how is my walk with Jesus? Am I being obedient to Christ? Am I repenting of sin? Am I taking God seriously? Am I praying? Am I trusting God in prayer? Am I, do I care about how much I know the Bible and how much I'm able to apply the Bible to my life? Am I concerned about looking for ways to share the gospel with people? Am I concerned about finding ways to serve others who may be in need or reaching out to people who may need a friend or who are lonely? Those are good things to be anxious about. You know, as I was preparing this message, one of the things that stood out is Paul talks about anxiety in a way that I, it seems positive to me. Because he's talking about, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, where he says, I have daily on me the pressure of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul doesn't speak about being anxious about money or clothing. He's like, ah, I can be content in any circumstance, Philippians 4. He's like, I don't care about that stuff. This stuff doesn't matter. But where we do see Paul confess an anxiety that I don't think is a sin, uh, but it, it, it is a great concern. And his anxiety is for the churches that he had planted and that he's ministering to and he's sending letters to. That's, that's, he's anxious there because he's setting, seeking first the kingdom. He's got his heart set on the kingdom of God. So what you'll find is as you dedicate your time and energy to seeking first the kingdom, I think you'll feel less anxious. You'll feel your faith growing, your love for God increasing because you're focused on eternal things, not temporal things. You're focusing on things that matter, things that will last forever. And so verse 32, Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I want you to listen carefully to this verse. This this is a tender verse. Fear not, little flock. This is the only time in the New Testament where this phrase, little flock, is used. And Jesus is, it, it it just seems like Jesus is speaking tenderly to them, telling his disciples, hey, fear not. Don't be afraid. Little flock, that's, a, that's, that's an expression of, of compassion, of love, of tenderness and affection for his people. Hey, little flock, don't be afraid. I've got this covered. You don't need to worry about that stuff. Fear not, little flock. And then he says, your father, doesn't say the father, he doesn't say my father. He says, your father, he makes it personal. God the Father is not some distant deity who's detached and distracted and aloof. He's your Father, and He's attentive to every detail. And He said, It is your Father's good pleasure. Listen to that. It is your Father's good pleasure. What, is it, what makes God happy? You ever think about that? What makes God happy? We, 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 there's something here that makes God happy. It is your father's good pleasure. It makes him happy. He's excited. He likes it to give you the kingdom. And right now as Christians, we've only tasted the smallest little slice of the joy that will be given to us in eternity. 
you know, my grandfather, Papa Kurt, that's what we called him, Papa Kurt, he was notorious for his inability to keep a secret about Christmas gifts. <laughs> and so I have this memory of one Christmas um, where he was, he, he just couldn't wait till Christmas. I mean, he just, he could not wait. And um, it's been a long time ago. I don't remember exactly who bought the bike, but I was getting a bike, uh, a new bike. It was a red 10-speed bike that I was getting for Christmas that year. And I believe my mom had bought it for me, but my grandpa was there. (laughs) And he was so excited. He couldn't wait. He just could not wait. He couldn't hold it in. And so he ended up telling me, hey, guess what? You're getting a bike for Christmas. And it's like my mom got so mad at him. She's like, why did you spoil that? Well, why, why did he spoil that? It's because it is my grandfather's good pleasure <laughs> to be able to delight in the happiness of his child that is receiving a gift, his grandchild. That's what God is. God is, like, God is like, I can't wait. I can't wait. God is so excited. It is his good pleasure to lavish all the joy and blessing and privilege and, and delight that he can on you. It is your father's good pleasure give you something. And what has he given you? A bike? A meal? A new outfit? Come on. No, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Think about like just what does that mean? It's like he's talking about the kingdom of God and that's his it's his kingdom. He's the king. He rightfully is the owner of it, but no, he's like I'm giving it to you. I want to share it. You're my sons and daughters in Christ, and everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to everyone because you are heirs with Christ, right? So that's what you get. You get a kingdom. That's what God wants to give you. Why in the world would you be worried about food and clothes and other stupid stuff that's a waste of time? Why worry about that stuff? You've got a kingdom to worry about, a kingdom to think about. You've got other people that we want to bring into that kingdom. That's what we should be focused on and devoting our energy to and giving our money to and praying about and proclaiming with all of our hearts. That's what God wants to give us. Why would we worry about these small things when we've got so much more, so much grander things that we can focus our time on? And it is God's pleasure to give you this kingdom where you will be invited to pull up a chair at this celestial banquet that lasts forever. You're going to get a meal out of this thing one way or another, but it's going to be a kingly meal. So knowing that, isn't it kind of dumb? Let's be honest with ourselves. Aren't the things that we're worried about when we walk in here this morning kind of dumb? You decide for yourself. I'm not calling you dumb. If the Holy Spirit says so, then just receive it as a you fool kind of statement from the Spirit. But let me tell you, I, I came in here today, and I, over, just over the course of the last week and few months, whatever, it's like there's a lot of things that I've been worried about that are just dumb. That one trillion years from now, I'm going to look back and think, man, that was so stupid. I can't believe I was all worked up about that thing. Because in light of eternity, it doesn't matter. Because I'll be living in the line then not just the dot. Verse 33. So what do we do? Well, here's something. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. And here's a corollary of that. Provide for yourselves money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. It's in the cloud. Money's in the cloud like uh, digital currency. Um, 
where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, meaning it doesn't perish. It lasts forever. Now, don't, don't hear me wrong. Jesus isn't saying it's a sin to own stuff. Like, that's, that's not what he's talking about here because in other, in other texts, he, you know, it would contradict that. So he's not saying it's a sin to own things. He's addressing the issue of being preoccupied with those things where your wealth and your possessions and other temporal things dominates your attention. Because here's the thing. The love of money, that's a powerful idol. It's a powerful idol and it's not easily repented of because money makes big promises that it can't keep. But because it's tangible and it's real and it, it, we tend to believe that money can give us the things that we want. And so what Jesus is saying is like, if you want to break the power of that idol over you, is, is money an idol to you? Whether, or not, whether you've got plenty of it and you want more and you're greedy or whether you don't have very much and you're worried about it, either way, it's a preoccupation with temporal things. Do you want to break that idol's power over you? Here's how you do it. Give it away. <laughs> Give it away. Poor person. Give it away. You know the story of the, the widow who came to the temple? She had a couple of nickels or whatever, and she put it in the treasury, and Jesus says she gave more than everybody else. I mean, she gave all she had to live on, but she gave it from a generous heart that was trusting God. So the way to store up treasures in heaven, the way to increase your heavenly bank account in the cloud, the way to increase your heavenly bank account is to share your treasures on earth. So it's kind of like you're, you're paying it forward, you're paying it on ahead. You're, you're, you're making deposits in heaven by sharing your wealth on earth. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see the link there between the treasure and the heart? Now, that's a little counterintuitive because what, what do we normally think? We think, well, whatever we value that's what we go out and buy, right? So if you value something, you're going to spend your money on that thing. And it's always struck me that what Jesus says is the reverse. Jesus says, whatever you're putting your money towards, that's where your heart is. So it seems as though where you're putting your money is the leader and your heart is the follower. Now, both are true. Both are true, but I think we need to, we need to be able to recognize that what Jesus is emphasizing here is the treasure first and your heart follows the treasure, meaning your heart follows the money. Your heart learns to value the things that you spend your money on. So if you spend all your money on yourself, what are you going to fall more deeply in love with? Yourself. But if you devote your money to the priorities of God's kingdom, even if you do so without really the best motive, but you're doing it out of obedience, what do you think your heart will discover? You make that a practice, you make that a habit, and eventually you'll find, like, you know what? That's a good thing. You know what? I, I find that my heart is more inclined to the things of God as I put more money that I have towards those things. So think of the homeless man on the street and the richest man in the world, Elon Musk. In case you didn't know, Wikipedia says he's worth $202 billion and he's the richest richest man in the world. Both of them will stand before God's judgment and neither of them will be judged on the basis of their net worth. Because your money, Elon Musk's money, the homeless man's money that he doesn't even have, that money has no value 
in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God operates on a different currency. The currency of the kingdom is faith in God and love for God. And God shows no partiality apart from saving faith in Christ. Both the rich man and the poor man are condemned in their sin because all have fallen short of the glory of God. So the only hope that any of us have when we face judgment, whenever we face our eternal destination, is to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And our trust that God loves us, that God knows our needs, and that God cares for us down to the tiniest little details, that trust is ultimately demonstrated in the gospel. And that's where our value to God is demonstrated because of the price that it cost to purchase our redemption. Jesus paid for our souls. He paid for your life at the cost of his own blood, the cost of his own life that was freely laid down so that we could be forgiven. So sinful you and sinful me, Jesus died. He was crucified for us. He suffered the judgment of God for us, dying in our place in order to save us. And so the homeless man and the richest man in the world are both sinful. They're both condemned before a holy God. But both can be saved in the exact same way. Not by their money, not by their good deeds, not by anything good that they do. They're both saved by humbling themselves and acknowledging their sin, repenting, and believing in the gospel. They're saved by grace through faith. And so the eternal things, the things of the soul, the things of the kingdom of God, that's what's most important because that's what Jesus came to address, our biggest need, our biggest deficit, the bankruptcy of our souls. Jesus came to address those things. Let me conclude. I want to read you a quick story. It's about a rich man, or about a man who became rich as a top investment counselor. And so the story goes like this. He had had more money than he could use and seemed to have it made. This is a true story. He didn't need to depend on anybody since he was able to control his own destiny financially. But then he began using his resources to try some of life's most exciting experiences. Soon he was totally dependent on drugs. His large income could not pay for his habit, and crime became the source of income that he would use to buy cocaine. And soon he found himself in a prison cell, dependent on hardened criminals just to stay alive. He suffered pain and embarrassment, shame and humiliation beyond description. And still, this dependence was not as bad as his drug dependence had been. So using brute strength and determination... He soon climbed near the top of the prison pecking order. And still, the hurt was too much to bear. He had to find help. So he retreated to the darkest corner in the cell, and he bowed before God. And gradually, that became a nightly habit. And soon, an inmate with deep psychological problems began asking him, Hey, Bob, aren't you going to say a prayer for us tonight? And gradually, others joined in until 15 of the inmates were on their knees with him each night. And then he ended up concluding this. He said, even if I could be paroled right now, I'd refuse. I'm having the best time I've ever had in my life. I've never imagined being so close to God. Don't worry about me. I'm praying for you. It's a man who was rich toward God, even though he was poor and in prison. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you, you know all of our needs. You see all of what's going on in our lives. You know all the details.
nothing is lost on you. And you love us, you care for us, you value us more than the birds, and yet you take care of them. So Father, we ask you that you will help us to put the kingdom of God first in our lives because you laid down your life for us. And in the gospel, we, we have seen the value that you place on us, the value that you, you, you gave the infinite worth of your son. You gave so that we could be saved. You laid down your life so that we could be forgiven. And so, Lord, now as we come to the table, we celebrate the life that we have, the good things that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, that we know that you're going to take care of us. Help us to not fear, to not be anxious, to not worry about temporal things. Lift our hearts and our eyes and our minds heavenward so that we can seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness trusting that all these other things, you're going to take care of them too. We've got nothing to worry about. So help us, God, to trust you in that way. And as we come now to the table, we pray, Lord, that you will feed us a meal of the gospel. We're eating and drinking the grace of Jesus. And we worship you. Thank you for providing it. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.